500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Build Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month. Now through May 31st. That means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome Penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details. Shut up and sit down. bitches I had a very interesting week I there was a little dust up in fandom over the big delete on rough trade and so I watched it for a little bit and it got a little out of hand and I got some grief in email and some I got quite a lot of grief actually and I think it mostly came from fandoms that I'm not particularly known in and who didn't understand the way rough trade worked. Um, I'm talking to you, NCIS. Yeah. Uh, And um, they were a little unhappy. One of them went so far as to stalk (laughs) or hunt down an author who was on rough trade and harass her about her work. I shit you not. Um, Don't do that. Don't do that. It It's terrible. Terrible. And it wasn't a polite question of, hey, where's your stuff? Or, hey, are you going to post this on your site? It was a terrible experience, apparently. I haven't seen the actual... Um, I did see. I did see something from Tumblr that was terrible. And just don't be that way. Don't be that person, because all you do, really all you do, is make every single one of us dislike you. And there are far too many of us to dislike you. And here's another thing. I locked down Rough Trade. It is not just locked down as in you have to be a member to post. You have to be a member to even look at it. When you try to go to a link for Rough Trade, you're going to get a login screen, and you can currently register without moderation. But if you people continue to be assholes, then I will put that on moderation too, and there will be an application to get into Rough Trade. And if you were already a member of Rough Trade and you show your ass in July or any other time in the future, I will kick you off Rough Trade by your IP address. And I don't care if it bans everybody in your neighborhood as a result or everybody in your neighborhood Starbucks as a result. I will make sure you don't come back if I have to ban your whole country. Watch me. Watch me. 
Are you listening, Ireland? Because I'm talking to you. I hope you're listening. Anyways. So that happened. And immediately, I'm talking like less than half an hour after I locked Rough Trade down, I get an email. And if someone has used the contact form, they have created an account on Rough Trade just to use the contact form to send me a complaint about what I've done with Rough Trade and how terrible I am and how manipulative I am and I'm selfish and I should be making things easier for readers, not harder. Oh my God, wine, 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 oh my God. How am I going to fucking live, right? There was an imaginary tear on my face as I read this. So here's the thing, here's the dumbest part of this thing. Here's something you don't know, but you will know for the future. When you register with Rough Trade, or you use the comment form, or you use the um, contact me form, Rough Trade registers your IP address. So, I went over to Rough Trade and looked up the IP address to see if it was attached to any other account. And it was, and that person who created an account just to bitch at me got banned on both of their accounts and got banned by their IP address. Boom. That's how that happens. And that's how that will happen in the future. I don't got to put up with that shit. And then I went over to my own site, looked up their IP address again, and banned them from my site. Now, granted, mine currently isn't locked down the way Rough Trade is, so they just can't comment or log in or use the chat room or you know, see the members-only area of, of my site. But, you know, that's enough right now. Th- th- that's my petty revenge for, for right now. But it, but it could get worse. Because what I have done to Rough Trade, I could easily do to my own site. Yeah, I could do that. Anyways, <clears throat> that's all I want to say about that. So now we're talking about the economics of short story construction and one of the reasons why we're doing this is because Rough Trade in July is going to be a short story workshop sort of thing. And I'm going to talk about my process. You don't have to use my process. Let me put that out there for you. You don't have to at all. I think that it's important as a writer that you develop your own process as you go along. And what I did was I used somebody else's process for a very long time. I focused on the techniques they used. I read books on how to plot. I read books on scene structure. I read books on pacing and suspense building and just a whole, and I still read. I mean, I have, I buy a craft book every year dedicated to some part of expanding my craft as a writer. And so, when I first started, and I was very young, I used their parts, their methods to create my work. And eventually, I moved and I started to create my own process. And that's what you'll do too. You'll figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And the only way you're going to figure out what does or does not work for you is to actually try it. 
okay? And that's like, okay, if you fail. It's okay to fail, okay? It's not okay to never try and to assume you would fail. That's terrible. Don't be that person. Try it out. The worst thing you can do is not make it. Um, and then, you know, you just start over again and pick out a new one and try again. Um, Senna's asking in the chat room if there is a book which forms, with forms to create outlines and such. As a matter of fact, there are several books out there that I can recommend that will help you create an outline. And there are also a whole bunch of websites. Um, and stuff as well. And when we get into Rough Trade next month and we're in the um, Minion headquarters in Facebook talking about that, I'll talk about those books and I'll talk about those articles online and, and we'll go over that and, um, and how that works and, and how you can build your story. You can build the bones of your story before you write your story. And when you do that, it creates a plan that you can follow. And some people have a problem with that. They don't like to plan. They don't like to think about what they're going to write next. They don't want to spoil the story for themselves. And then they end up with a 200,000 word story that has no end. Now you can write a 200,000 word story as long as there's an end there eventually, right? There's going to be an end, right? You're going to have one. Um, I tend to write big. I tend to write very big. As a result, I don't have a lot of examples on my site of um, short stories um, to work with. I do have some in my, in my standalone collection for Stargate. And it's, uh, I think short story um, construction is huge. Is huge because what you learn in creating a short story is economy of creation. And you learn what you don't need to tell a story. And you learn the bare bones of what you do need to tell a story. And to be able to tell a story in 10K or 15K or even 20K it's an important skill to have as a writer because it's about being concise and meaning every single word you say. So let's talk about short stories and how they work. The basics of a short story, the plot is simple. There are no subplots. That's just building a foundation on which you will have a book and not a short story. Okay? Let me. I have a document open here, so that's well. Okay. So here are tips for limiting your story and keeping your short story on task. Limit the number of characters you have. Decide from the onset, I'm going to have two 
three characters maximum on the screen at all times. That's it. That's all. You, that's all I get. I can mention other characters in passing, but they don't get their own scenes and they don't get their own POV. This is super important. It is not required that every character in your story have a point of view. Your reader does not need to know what everyone in your story is thinking. Period. It isn't necessary. If you structure your story in such a way, from one person's point of view, your reader can imagine what the other person is thinking or saying, or is thinking based on what they say. You can include another character's opinions about a situation through their dialogue. So it's, it's super important that you keep your characters, the amount of characters small, because every single word in 10K counts. And if, you de and if you waste words on secondary characters, then, you, then you're taking up space that your story could be in. One of the best ways to limit your point of view is to practice writing in first person. I've written entire novels in first person, 90, 100,000 words. It's doable. You can do it. It is an excellent writing exercise. I highly recommend it. It will teach you a lot about your own voice as a writer. It will teach you a lot about character building. And it will teach you a great deal about point of view and things that your character cannot possibly know. And it will create a suspense for you as you're working that has no that is so valuable that nothing else does that does and writing in first person is a very intimate experience and if you do it really well your reader will forget their reading first person uh, i um personally when it comes to my rough trade stories i'm going to tell the um stargate story from Rodney's point of view, and I'm going to tell the Harry Potter story from Hermione's point of view, entirely. I'm on the fence about my Harry Potter story being in first person. I might do it. I think it could be a lot of fun. I only have one first, one first person story on um, my site, and I've been told it's creepy. And it is kind of creepy because McKay is creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. There, there, there's a little bit of stalking going on. So writing in first person is an excellent way to develop yourself as a writer. But it can be done in private. You don't have to do it in public like on Rough Trade. Just, you know, it's just a good exercise, and I, and I recommend you try it. So, Okay, so limit your characters. Limit your point of view. You only have 10,000 words. That's not a lot of words. It may seem like a lot of words, but it really isn't. It really isn't. No small, no subplots. Try to avoid a subplot because a subplot is just going to make your story bigger than you have room for, and you're going to leave your reader irritated. 
once you've irritated your reader in, in the narrative, it's difficult to get them back. So try to avoid that. Try to avoid subplots. No exposition. I mean this. When you have 10K, you don't have room to spend six, seven, eight paragraphs talking about somebody's wardrobe or packing or crossing the street. I'm just saying, don't do it. Limit your backstory and keep it simple. One of the reasons why I picked Harry Potter and Stargate for this particular challenge is because the is because the canon is already so well developed. You won't have to put a lot of backstory into your work because the backstory's already been established for you. And you know, this is a good exercise to do at ten K because you're not Instead of asking you to do original fiction where you would have to establish your characters in a very small word count, which would be, which is very difficult to do. Anyways, there is no room for filler in 10K if you want to tell a complete story. And a complete story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You introduce your characters and your situation. Your characters respond to that situation. So Act 1 is an introduction. You've thrown your characters into a situation in the middle. And it's important to start in the middle because it builds suspense and excitement for your reader and draws them right into the story. So you're not putting the door. You kick that door in. And bam. And you move. And then you move, move, move until Act 2 when your characters respond to the event that has happened. Now, three, Act 3 is usually a mixture of consequences and acceptance. You've gone from event, reaction, consequences and acceptance. This is almost like the stages of grief. And then your act four is a progress towards your resolution. And if you create the right amount of pace, by the time your narrative gets here, it will it will ride out so smooth that you'll be like, oh, look what I did. And it'll be, you know, it'll be exciting. It'll be very exciting. Act five is your resolution. Everything comes together. If you're writing a romance, there's some sex and I love yous. And then you have the end. Now, you could take apart any short story I have on my website, and they would all break down that way. The air the angels breathe. The opening event is Rodney hanging from a balcony and John, and you know within the first three paragraphs of the story, 
You know everything you need to know about John. One, he's a mutant. Two, he has hidden his mutation his entire life. Three, he loves Rodney more than he has a desire to keep his secret. His love for him is so, it is immediate. His response is immediate. He displays his mutation in a heartbeat to save McKay's life. No hesitation. So that's, that's what you know about John. And this is action. This is showing instead of telling. I'm not telling you that John's in love with Rodney in this scene. It's never said. I'm not telling you that John sacrificed his privacy regarding his mutation for Rodney. I'm showing you that John loves Rodney. And I'm showing you that John willingly and without hesitation sacrificed the privacy he had protected his entire life regarding his mutation in seconds. So, that's Act 1. And Act 2 kind of merges because there's like like it bleeds from Act 1 into Act 2 because the story is actually quite small. It's only, and as... Lady Holder has told the chat room it's only 7.5 thousand words. Um, <clears throat> Jennifer Keller has responded to John's mutation badly. And Rodney bites her head off for it. Not literally, which, which would have been fun, but no. I, I, there was no bloodshed. Um, and Elizabeth has moved into a, a place to protect John. So these are the consequences of John's actions. And there are more consequences. You find out Lauren comes to John, and you find out that Lauren is not a mutant, but his brother is. You find out that while everybody knew that John was a mutant, they didn't know what his mutation was. You find out there are basically two kinds of people on the city, people who are stupidly and inappropriately curious, about his mutation and those who are very protective of him about his mutation. You have Marie Marie in the um, infirmary who cleans off his back for him and watches him flirt with Rodney. And you've also, at this point, you learn that Keller's basically the only person on the city who doesn't realize what's happened. Everybody else gets it. Everybody else gets the fact that John's in love with Rodney at this point. It's, and she's the only one kind of blind to it. And again, this isn't something that I tell you as the, you know, I'm saying literally to the reader. It's um, what you pick up in the dialogue, or what I hope you pick up in the dialogue as you read this story. And then we move into Act Four where John is embracing his wings and being out (laughs) of the mutation closet, and he's having fun playing a little bit of a game with his men on the base, and Rodney finds that whole process baffling, just like he finds most of the military aspects of, of John's character baffling. And 
um, that's important because it, it says a lot about John's ability to adapt and the ability of those around him to adapt as well. You move into the final act. And this is actually, for me, the, the biggest character moment for, for John. Because John comes to Rodney, and he's been flying all day, and he's, you know, he's really all amused and pleased with himself because he's, you know, in, he's allowed some freedom that he hasn't had in a very long time, especially since he came to Atlantis when he didn't allow himself to fly as often as he wanted to. Do you want to say hello to the minions? <laughs> My husband just peeked in the door. He does not want to say hello to the minions. Sorry. Sorry. So, <clears throat> okay, where was I? Okay, so John, he's he's come to Rodney, and you, <clears throat> he's just so pleased with his day and, and having had um, time out when he had been so restricted in the past you know, keeping his mutation to himself. And there's a moment when John tells Rodney, and I should have looked it up before the the, um, radio show, but I didn't. He tells Rodney that no one else deserves him more. And this says so much about John's character in this universe, that John not only loves a lot more freely in this universe that he also expects to be loved and believes he deserves it and believes that no one deserves Rodney's love more than he does. And it says a lot about John's character and it goes back to the knowledge that Patrick Shepard fought to keep his son in this world where John mutated. And he allowed no one, not even his wife, to interfere in the protection of his son. So John grew up with a father who changed the world to protect him. Who shaped national policy to keep him safe. Lady Holder just um, copied and pasted it for him, for me. And, it said, and, and John says, no one deserves you as much as I do anyway. And it says so much about John's character that's not true of John in canon. I mean, it is, it is simply not true uh, of John in canon. And so this... When you change something fundamental about a character and their history, that has to resonate through the entire story. Or you're doing yourself, your story, and your character a huge disservice. So you could go back through any of my short stories that I've written and pick out these elements that I talked about. You know, the the act one is the the event or the what if. The act two is reactions to the event. The act three is the acceptance of consequences of the event. The act four is moving on from the event. 
and Act 5 is accepting and resolving the event and, and how it's changed your characters. And I do this without thinking about it. I rarely do a serious plot for a short story. It, it's usually a question. And then I number one, two, three, four, five, and I write five sentences about what each section is going to be about, and then I write, and, and that's it. That's all the time I devote to plotting to a short story. So, but that's not how I used to do it. When I was younger, my plots would be as long as the short story. <laughs> it would be ridiculous. But as you move through this process and figure out what works for you and how it works for you, you can trim down and get rid of the parts that you don't need. And it will become something you do naturally without even thinking about it. One of the major problems that, as a writer, I encountered is that I know so much about my story and about my characters, and I felt this need to share every single thing I knew about my story and about my characters with the reader. And doing that is not good short story work because you don't have a lot of room. So you can't waste space and words on information that, while interesting, you don't need it. One of the ways, you know, someone mentioned earlier that the air that angels breathe feels long, huge. It feels huge to them. And No Enemy Within feels huge to me, even though it's only 50K. In my head, No Enemy Within, which is the first book in the Lantean Legacy, is actually like 100,000 words. But it's not. That's just how it's in my head. It, it literally, it's like 50K and something. One of the ways you can create depth in your storytelling is the way you structure your sentences. Long sentences slow your pace, and they deepen your narrative in a way that creates a, a well of information. And sometimes, because I've been doing it for so long, it's, it's very difficult to explain what I mean by that. So, so let me try. When you write a long, information-heavy sentence, you slow your narrative down. You slow your reader down. There is a difference between a choppy sentence and a short sentence. Someone in the chat just said um, short sentences also sound choppy. Not if you do it right. In fact, if you do it correctly and smoothly, your reader won't even notice the difference. Short sentences increase your pace so that your reader is practically skipping over your narrative like a rock on, on a lake. And now, I don't mean skipping words or, or skipping parts of your story. I mean they are moving thro through your story so fast because they're excited 
and then you slow them down again, and then you build them up. And this creates momentum in your storytelling, and it drags your reader into your work in such a way that they don't want it to end. So, the economy of words. What you need to do, telling a small story. <laughs> it's okay, Kaz, if you fall asleep. I'll forgive you. Um, in the chat room, Kaz has said that she might fall asleep because she didn't get a lot of sleep yesterday. Oh, speaking of which, people who are not here tonight, I hope Tammy's having a very good date. Tammy on Facebook let me know that she wouldn't be attending my radio show tonight because she had a date. And I'll let her know. I'm going to let all you know. Cock first. Nothing should interfere with the ability to get laid. Not even me. Just let you know. So. <clears throat> so. So. What you need to do is you need to establish your character in as few as sentences as possible. You need to use every word carefully. But don't get bogged down in this. Don't get so focused on creating these scenes in a certain way that you get stupid with it. So say what you mean. Mean what you say. Don't use extra words. Set your scene in as few sentences as possible. Set your characters up as quickly as you can. Explain their situation in such a way that not only are you explaining the situation that they're in, but you're also moving the narrative. Don't back up. You should always move forward. Always. Backing up will bore the shit out of your reader. Onward, forward and onward. Always, 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 always. In short story work, you do not get to do flashbacks. Take it out of your mind. Take it out of your mind. Put that over there in that box with the subplot you thought you were going to have because you don't have room for it either. And your secondary character's POV, stick that in that box too because you don't have room for it. You really don't. The goal of your story, your goal as a writer is to tell a complete story. To resolve a situation as completely as possible within the structure that you've created in your um, in your story. So there's Acts 1 through 5. And by the time you get to Act 5, you must have met your goal. And what is your goal? Your goal, you establish your goal first. What I do in any story that I write and I did this in the situations of war. I asked myself, 
What would happen if Rodney was on a planet by himself that was cold? And he had to come back to the city. So I asked myself that question. And in the end, my goal with that story was to demonstrate that Rodney had gone from being a scientist to being a soldier. And he's not even really aware of when that happened. Kaz Baby asks, quick question before I nod off. Is an event taking place at the same time as what is happening to my POV character if they are linked? I'm not sure what you mean by that. Um, um, okay. <laughs> I really don't get what you mean. <laughs> I'm not sure which, which one of us is more tired. Okay. Uh, Say, for instance, Atlantis. In any short story you create in Atlantis, there's going to be a built-in subplot, even if you never mention it, and that's the race. <laughs> you know? So there can, be, there can be subplots. You just can't explore subplots in 10K. How about that? There are outside events that you cannot control when you're playing in somebody else's canon. Because it's just not possible to write in Stargate when your people are on Atlantis without acknowledging that in the background there are a couple of things that are going on, among them the race. The race are out there eating people. And, and that happens in every episode, whether it's mentioned or not. Somewhere, somehow, some race is eating somebody in every moment that Stargate Atlantis is on the air in the background somewhere that's happening. <clears throat> and, you know, for instance, in Harry Potter, from book four on, in every instance that thereafter, Voldemort's fucking around somewhere doing something. That's a subplot that rarely gets any kind of attention in the books because mostly Harry Potter is, is told from from Harry's point of view. So while, yes, there can be small events taking place around your main event, these aren't events that you can realistically explore in 10,000 words. So yes, they can be there but you really do not have room to do more than mention them in passing. Building your character through action helps you create your short story in a couple of ways. One, you're showing your reader what your character is really about. Two, you're moving your narrative forward. And you're doing it in such a way that you're doing two or three things at once with the same words. And that's economy of short storytelling. If you can do all those things in the same couple of paragraphs, then you're accomplishing something as a writer. If you can establish that 
say, for instance, with the air the angels breathe, that John's a mutant, John loves Rodney, John's going to reveal everything just a split second. And all this happened in the same four or five paragraphs, established the character, I've established the event, I've established a huge amount of world building without even really talking about it, where you know that, number one, humans are mutating, and they have been mutating since the 70s, and John's not unique in that he's a mutant. He is unique that he, that he has wings, and, and no one's ever seen that before. And all of this is established in the same scene. So I've used the same scene to do multiple things. So not only should your words be concise, your words should have multiple jobs, do double duty. Move, move, move. Everything should move. And yes, you do need to avoid exposition. You do need to avoid flashbacks. You really do not have room for them. You need, <clears throat> or maybe it's I don't have room for them. Because I do tend to be verbose if, if, if I'm left unattended. And I can go on and on and on. Next thing I know, I've got 100K, and it's sitting in Lady Holder's inbox, and she's asking me what foot I've broken this time. I'm just saying, that happens to me. And maybe it doesn't happen to you. Maybe you do have room for exposition. I don't know. I don't. But, well, I will tell you this. Exposition is boring as fuck. It's boring. It really is. When you open up a story... You got nine, ten paragraphs of text and not a single fucking line of dialogue. Nine times out of ten, your reader's gonna skip down to the dialogue. I'm just saying. That's the truth. I skip it. I'm gonna go back and read it. But I skip down to the first piece of dialogue to see what's gonna happen. Because I assume this shit isn't happening until the dialogue. I'm just saying, keep that in mind. Originally, when I announced Rough Trade, it was going to be 2,000 words a day for five days, but I restructured it. So we're going to do, like, the, the first week of July, we're going to be in um, Minion Central in, on, on Facebook doing some plot workshops and, and working through plot ideas and events. And then we're going to write those whole seven days. So you have seven days to write 10K, not five days to write 10K. So that is actually just 1,428 words a day, or 1,429 if you add it up. So, you know. And if you go a little bit over 10K, that's not going to be a big deal. And I just... Um, Lost my chat room. But you can't, if you hit 11K, I, I, I'm going to consider you a failure. I'm not, not going to get mad at you. I'm, I'm not. But you're, you're going to lose the challenge. Okay, also, at the end of week two, at the end of the first boot camp, you can't write any more on your story on Rough Trade. That's all you get. Because then we're going to move back into Facebook and do our workshop again, and then we're going to write Boot Camp 2. And you don't get to post on Boot Camp 1 during Boot Camp 2. I am not going to be spanking anyone 
you perverts, but you will have lost the challenge. Lost. I'm not going to keep a list in public if you lose. Put on my computer. Call it the losers. Just saying. Anyways, I think it's important to try, and if you don't quite make it, that's perfectly okay as well. You know, it's okay to fail at something, as I said earlier, but it's not okay to never try. Okay, where was I? Okay. So you you need to establish your event and your characters immediately. Boom, boom, boom. They have to be established front up. Work it quick. Work it fast. Drag your reader into the situation. Start in the middle. It's so important to start in the middle. And a lot of writers tell you this and a lot of books that will tell you this when you're talking about stories and uh, and how things work. It's just the middle is so much more interesting than the beginning. Taylor is spelled T-E-L-A, by the way. Ronan is spelled R-O-N-O-N, by the way. Okay. Um <clears throat> Here's why it's interesting to start in the middle. You're coming into a story. What's more interesting to you as a reader? Approach it from that angle. Is it more interesting to see somebody getting on a plane, or is it more interesting to see somebody free fall, having been thrown out of a plane. I know what I would pick. Oh, they got a parachute. I'm just saying, is it more interesting to see a woman being, a woman leaving her house? Or is it more interesting to see a dead body on the side of the road? I mean, just, you know, from a fiction point of view, I'm not talking about in reality, okay? Just in fiction, The more interesting your situation is in the middle, the more fascinated your reader will be. And they'll want to know how they got there. I started Sentinels of Atlantis with John in the middle of a tour of Cheyenne Mountain. Not as he arrived, not as he got his orders, but in the middle of his tour. So starting in the middle of an event interest and it brings your reader into your story. Do you want to know how they got there? How that happened? And that's one of the biggest things in suspense and mystery. Figuring out the who, the how, and the why. And that's why they're so popular in um in fiction as a as a rule because 
you're creating a relationship with the reader where you and your reader are going on an adventure and they're going to figure out something and you're going to go, oh, look, there's a serial killer. How fascinating is that? After you've established your characters and you've established your event, you have to move through your scenes in a logical, there, you're really going to enjoy this kind of way. So what you do, if you're a plotter, is you plan these scenes out. You mark your acts off, one, two, three, four, five, and you figure out which scenes are going to be in your acts and how they're going to resolve. And if you create a plan, this allows you to hopefully avoid writer fatigue or, if you want to use dirty words, writer's block. And when you do that, <clears throat> Criminal Minds, there's somebody in the chat talking about Criminal Minds, and Criminal Minds is, is, is exactly what I'm talking about. They always open in the middle. You don't know what's going on, and you've got to play catch-up the entire time. You know, who did this? Why did they do this? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What was that? Are they going to do that? And so, as a writer, if you can make your reader go, holy shit, you've done something really awesome. If you've turned your story in such a way that your reader, and readers are very jaded. They have expectations. And if you fuck with their expectations and you turn a story in such a way that's not ugly, okay, there are, there are ugly ways to turn something that make absolutely no sense. Speaking of, if you watch the season finale of Bones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm going to go on record right now and say that was the dumbest shit I've ever seen on TV. And I once watched four hours of Dancing with the Stars. I can't even talk about it. It's worse than when they... It was worse than when they killed... Vincent, it was worse. Because at least that had purpose. It was that there was like, when they killed Mr. Vincent Nigel Murray, Vincent Michael, Vincent, Vincent, Vincent Nigel Murray, when they killed him, it made sense. I didn't like it. I really didn't like it, but it made sense. There was some plot there. It worked. I didn't like it. What they did in this season finale was made of stupid. It was made of a mountain of stupid. They turned and twisted your expectations as a reader in a way that made me want to stab everybody on that show. I took it off my DVR. I'm probably not going to watch it next season because what the fuck? No, seriously, what the fuck? There, what the fuck? There's, there's nowhere to go from this. There's nowhere to go. It's going to be like Bobby Ewing in the shower all over again.
I just dated myself. I said it first, Original Tempest. You shut the fuck up. He just talked about Bobby Ewing in the chat room. There's a delay of about 15 seconds, so I said it first. Thank you. Anyways, it it wouldn't surprise me at all if Bobby Ewing ended up in Bones' shower, okay? That's how fucking stupid the whole thing is. <laughs> That's right. Curtis is officially dead, and I'm officially a widow on my wedding day. You know, see, because it's just it's so stupid. So when you're plotting your story, it is okay to turn your characters or to turn your event in a way that no one expects. It is not okay to betray your own story or to betray your own characters in such a way that your readers hate them and hate you. It's okay to build suspense. It is not okay when you don't deliver. It's okay to have a twist, something unexpected. It is not okay to depend repeatedly on that twist. M. Night, I'm talking to you. To tell a story. M. Night, really, I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking to you. One twist is fine. Two twists, okay. For real, you need to stop that shit can't depend on gimmicks and tricks to repeatedly shape the stories that you tell. Really, to be able to move your characters in a narrative in such a way that your reader is entertained and satisfied at the end. If it helps, consider it like sex. There has to be foreplay, there has to be some effort, and there has to be a freaking orgasm at the end or somebody or not or not everybody's gonna be happy, okay? <clears throat> Started a terrible thing in the chat room. Not, not for talking about M. Not, um, M. Not Shyamalan about. Oh Lord, the movies. I really enjoyed um, Unbreakable, and I liked Signs. I enjoyed The Sixth Sense. The Village made me want to stab somebody in the forehead. I did not watch The Lady in the Water. I watched two minutes of it once by accident. I was flipping through the TV. It was an accident. Um, the Last Airbender. I took my Padawan to see The Last Airbender, and we got out of that movie. He looked at me. Cause it was his idea. He wanted to go see it. He said, I'm sorry. I just wasted two hours of our lives. <laughs> And you know it's bad when an eight-year-old apologizes to you for wasting your time. It's real bad. 
when a, when an eight-year-old is aware that that time has been wasted. Anyways, so, oh, M. Night. I have not seen After Earth. I, I have no interest really in seeing After Earth. So, anyways, you can be an interesting storyteller, but you can't depend on gimmicks and tricks stories. You have to build a solid craft, and when you build solid craft, you can turn your story in such a way that's shocking at the end in a way that won't irritate the fuck out of the people who are reading it. Yes, you can do unexpected things, and so it says you can do a lot of things that doesn't mean you should. Yes, you can. You can do things that are completely unexpected. I once read a short. I once read a story in um, the uh, Stargate fandom, and it's told from John's point of view. And I couldn't tell you the title of the author of the story if my life depended on it. And so I'm sorry in advance if you want to read this. It is. Um, there's a story, and John is trapped, and he has a radio in his ear, and Rodney is talking to him, keeping him calm. The entire story. And John confesses a couple of things to Rodney. And it goes on and on and on. And then when they finally pull... John out of this cave-in, you find out that Rodney has been dead the whole time. It was devastating. Oh, my God. It was devastating when I read it. I was like, oh, God, Rodney, oh, God. And it was like, um... It's a great story. It is fantastic storytelling. I never recommended it on Slash World because it's so sad. And um, Cass Baby is saying it's by B-U-S-I-K-K-O. I'm not going to try to say that. Um, anyways, it's a fantastic story. It's great storytelling, and it's shocking. There's also a really awesome story, and it's a Jen story, and it's on um, the pit, fanfiction.net. And uh, and it is an excellent use of uh, short story craft, and I'm going to find it because I think that it's something that you should read. And it's not um, a permanent death fic by any means, um, so I I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't wreck that to anybody, so don't worry about it. It's a uh, excellent example, however, of short story craft. I fucking hate these. Uh, Pictures where you have to figure out what they're saying so you can type it in and log in. I have not been over to this place in a very long time, so I don't know where the story is. Hold on. <laughs> you would not believe some of the stuff I have on my wall over here. It's crazy. You know, your little thing where you pick out favorites and stuff. Okay, there's a story called Wits End by Gray Wolf Lupus. I'm going to put it up in the chat room, and I will put a link up in um, the 
story area of the radio show, so you can click on it. It's 19,000 words, and it still qualifies basically as a short story. Anything under uh, 25K industry-wise is considered a short story. When you get into the 20, 25K area, that's where you get into novella. Um, 25 to 50, that's upper novella. Anything over 50 is considered a novel for the most part. Um, I've posted a uh, link for it in the uh, chat room. And I, like I said, I'll post another one on the uh, radio show itself. And this is a story. <clears throat> that when I first read it, I was so shocked by it that I had to read it like three or four times. I couldn't stop reading it. So I read it like three or four times that week. And when you find a story that moves you in this way, and this is excellent storytelling, it is excellent storytelling because there's so much packed into this story, it feels like you read a book when you're done. And it's just 19,000 words. And so when you can do that in 19,000 words or in 10,000 words, you've accomplished something as a writer that is really difficult to, uh, to accomplish. And a lot of times what happens is, is um, as you move through your craft as a writer, your work gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I have written in novel format for so very long. In fact, the shortest works that I write these days are um, the short stories I do for fan fiction. Now, I do big works for fan fiction, obviously, as well. But professionally, I tend to write in the 9200K range as the norm. Lady Holders also found the story with John Rodney and the radio. And I'm going to click on it so I can get it. It's called A Hub for the Wheeled Universe. And... Um, It's only 1,500 words. That's amazing. And it is, that story stuck with me, and I read it years ago, and it has always, is, it pops into my head at unexpected times because it's so, it's devastating. It's simple, and it packs a mouth-busting punch. I mean, it is just, it is, it is gut-wrenching. And um, let me make sure it's the same one. Yeah. It's the same one. It's... I like it because it says so much about John's character in the story and the comfort he seeks in the moment. And I didn't know it was a series. But it's in a series of works over here. I think it's uh, like a series of uh, short stories that the authors put together that's not actually, they're all connected or anything. Anyways, so you can tell a 
story that has a great deal of impact in a small amount of words. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound crazy considering the challenges that I've asked of you of in July, but it's not so much how many words you use to tell a story, it's what words you use to tell a story. Yes, writing in short story format is a, an important skill to have because it teaches you um, word economics. It also teaches you to write for market because there is a market for short stories. There is a market for novellas. There is a market for novels, and these are different markets. <laughs> a short story you can sell here. A book you can sell over there. And if you have an editor asking for a short story, you can't turn in a 25,000-word novella. So you have to learn to work small and build big. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can do whatever the hell you want. But I think it's fun to have different skill sets and to explore yourself as a writer and to develop your craft in ways that perhaps you didn't think you would and exploring um, different points of view and different ways of writing. Um, one thing I don't recommend is second person. I will never recommend you write in second person. Let me tell you why. Second person is the most annoying and condescending POV you can write in. I am serious. Don't do that. It is so fucking irritating. I have never read a second person fic where I didn't want to punch the author in the face. Let me give you a rule on first, second, and third person. I'm going to say the same sentence in all three, OP, um, three POVs. Harry hated tea. That's third person. That's first person. You hate tea. That's second person. Second person is talking directly to the reader. Like you're turning and you're facing the reader as an author and you are speaking directly to them and you use words like you. And you try to pull the person literally into the story. It's ugly and it's annoying and it's condescending. And it isn't even, no, it isn't even Dear Reader because you can do like a diary where you're not, um, where you're talking to the reader, which isn't the same thing as talking for the reader. Second person, you walk down a path and you don't know where it's going, but you go anyway because there might be something interesting down there. And when you get there, see, do you see what I mean? Do you see? No, it's terrible. It is so terrible. You. It's terrible. I don't recommend second person. Number one, um, 
it's an ugly POV to write in. It is kind of creepy. Sybil says it's creepy in the chat room. It is very creepy. It's creepier than first person. It's like stalker territory. I can't even explain why. It's just, ugh, it's really creepy. Anyways, it's arrogant and patronizing, and it's just annoying. Don't do it. It's so ugly. And also... People who write in first person can sometimes slip into second person by accident. And that's what I call a Ferris Bueller moment. You know how when you're watching the movie Ferris Bueller and there are moments in the movie where Ferris turns to the camera and he talks directly to you? Those are second person moments, and they sometimes happen in first person stories. And you don't want to do that. It's terribly, um, it's it's bad craft. It is, it is very bad craft to fall into that trap. I can't say I haven't done it because I have. Everything I tell you not to do, I've done. Because <laughs> you learn from your mistakes. And some of the biggest lessons I learned came from um, stories or books that I would consider absolute failures in storytelling and in construction and in character development. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I hate this person, and I hope Rock falls and he dies. And I once killed the hero of my book in Chapter 2, killed him dead. I had this whole thing plotted where he was the hero, killed him, boom, dead, and made the bad guy the good guy. Or the anti-hero, because who doesn't love Riddick, right? Anyways, I'm just saying that sometimes you move into something and you and you have this plan and you get into it and you start working with it and you start writing it and you start <coughs> working with these characters and then suddenly they are not what you wanted at all. And you learn from those craft mistakes, and often you learn more from them than you will from your successes. Because oftentimes your successes are built on past failures, and you don't you don't take risk, so to speak. And when you stay safe and you stay in your comfort zone and you're not taking risks. It's easy to win, and it's easy to be successful, but you don't always learn anything from it. And you don't always expand yourself and your craft as a writer. And and you don't. It's just, you know, so, as I've been saying all along, it's okay to fail. It's not okay not to try. You can always try. Always. What's the worst thing that can happen? Boom, fail, move on. There's not going to be a list of assholes who failed. There might be, but it'll just be on my computer. I won't share it with anybody. Learning experiences, yes. Failure is a learning experience. Oh. Earlier this evening, I was on I was on Facebook, and um, I was talking. An original Tempest has joined Facebook. He claimed accidentally that he doesn't that he didn't want friends, but he really does. He wants friends. He's desperate for friends. If you go to my wall, you'll see my 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 uh, 
my post where I welcomed him to Facebook. So you need to go friend him because he's pitiful. Anyways, <clears throat> yes, in the midst of creating his um, on Facebook, he managed to break his um, the internet in his entire region. So if you're in Canada and you lost internet, it's it's Tempest's fault. Just saying. All his fault. I didn't know what I was going to say. Oh, so I was welcoming original Tempest to Facebook. I like a good cult leader. And Azur said something terribly funny. And I snorted cantaloupe up my nose. And it still hurts. It still hurts, even to this very moment. And I don't even know what to do about it. It's like... Worse than a coffee. It's worse than liquid. It's it, it's worse than hot coffee, which I've had that experience as well. And I don't even know what to do with it. There's just nothing I can do. Nothing. I've got 44 minutes left. Which we talked about starting in the middle. We talked about pacing and working through your narrative with a mixture of long and short sentences in a way uh, that creates um, that quickens and slows your, um, slows your pace and creates a momentum in your storytelling that allows you to deepen your narrative and move your narrative forward. So you have to build your characters at the start. You have to get your event. Bam. Sentence one, tell me where your character is Tell me who's dead. Tell me who's fucking. Tell me, tell me who's about to get fucked up. Just, just bring it. Just bring it on. So when you start your story, you need to bring it. And I don't mean bring on the exposition. I mean bring it. Boom. <laughs> okay. Keeping a secret from your reader. Sometimes you build a story around a secret, something that nobody else knows in the story, and it's up to your main character to find out. And sometimes your reader knows a secret that none of your characters know. I am not, you know, people in the chat room sometimes have really terrible, horrible um, suggestions, and there was a suggestion that I use lube on my nose, and the answer is no, absolutely not. I'm not wasting lube that way. It has a better purpose, okay? For serious. All right. Um, <clears throat> when you keep a secret from your reader, or you keep a secret from your character, you can use this secret to close your narrative. And that big reveal can be the climax of your story. And then you have the wind down after the reveal that allows for you to close your story and say the end. And once you've written the end, it is the most amazing experience. Boom, done, the end. That's awesome. Even if I don't actually put it on my website, whenever I do, I'll do a little story, 
or something, and I write the I write the end on it, even if it never actually ends up on my website. I'm just crazy like that. It's just something to do. I I really enjoy um, writing the end. It's fun. Keep your language concise. Avoid exposition. Small characters, small amount of characters, uh, small story. You don't have room in 10K to tell a big story. Keep that in mind. You don't get to ask 10 questions. You get to ask one. Ask one question of your characters, not 10. You don't have room for 10. One of the biggest problems you can experience coming into a challenge like this is you get bogged down in the procedure or the details of the challenge, and you lose the drive to write. So I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to approach it as a do-or-die moment. God, Azor just asked the most offensive question I've ever heard in my chat room. That is, that is terrible. And of course, the answer is already in canon. She asked, do you think Ron Weasley would make an attractive woman? And my answer is, no, Azor. You know I hate Jenny. They might as well have been twins. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Really? So, what you can do to avoid losing the drive to write during the challenge is to set yourself a daily goal. And it's more than just a word count. I'm sorry. I'm eating a peanut M&M. <laughs> you have your, your daily word count to meet. And your daily word count is like 14-something. I, d I did the math earlier. Um, 10K divided by 7. 14.28, basically, yeah, basically. So you have your word count, and that's a goal. But it isn't your only goal. You can also create goals within your um, plot document or plan, whatever you end up doing during the uh, workshop week, whatever you use. And so that is Act 1. How many scenes are in your Act 1? So say you write seven scenes over five acts over seven days. So every day you're writing a scene. So say you have Sybil is asking if it's okay to write 500 one day and 2,500 the next. Yes, but you do have to post every day. And if somebody were to post 100 words, I would find that pretty offensive. So, you know, do keep that in mind. 100 words would be pretty offensive. That's like telling the rest of the participants that I'm not taking you seriously is, 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 is what you're saying. Anyways. <clears throat> What's come away with from this challenge or the workshops that we're going to do in, um, on Facebook 
is that you need to develop your own process. Work with your own process, work within your own process. The original announcement was five days, but the challenge is seven, and you have to post all seven days. And if you fail to post on all seven, seven days, you, you will be dismissed from the challenge. That's how it's been structured officially, and that's the way it's going to work. How rough can your posts on Rough Trade be? <laughs> Here's the thing. On mine, I do a spell check, and that's it. I post it up there. Spell check, and then I post it. And what you see is what you get, which can be kind of funny because sometimes, and this is because I write, um, I actually write faster in my head than I type. So sometimes you'll see a sentence, and there'll be like four or five words missing, and it won't make any fucking sense to you, but I guarantee you when I read it, it will be amazing because <laughs> my head will fill in the missing words. It's crazy. It's crazy. Sybil says she must get over her need to make it perfect. Let me help you out with that, Sybil. Nothing you've ever written was perfect. Ever. Published. I didn't stop talking. Even the Bible, which has been multi-published and multi-edited over and over and over and over again, is not perfect. So there are no perfect books. There are no perfect stories online because all everything is published and produced by people, and there are no perfect people. I don't know how much of a sound break you guys got. Is it back? Can you hear it? Can you hear me? How brief? Okay, okay, okay. Anyways, <clears throat> so, you didn't miss anything, just me telling people that no one's perfect. So, since the Holy Bible, which has been printed over and over and over again and been edited many, many times in more than one language, is not perfect. And it is the most published book on earth, I believe. I believe, I, I really do believe that. Across languages and... Um, editing and all that stuff. If that book is not perfect and has typos in it, you have absolutely no hope of ever being perfect. So let it go. Yeah, I went there. Just let it go. Put your hands out in front of you and push it away. You need to let it go. Nobody's perfect, not even your mother. Not even my mother, who is pretty awesome, but is not perfect. Just. Let it go. I got somebody on the phone, I believe. I believe I know who it is. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Sina's in there in the chat room talking about the song now. She's going to make her own post. 
So, yes, you are posting over seven days. The first week of July will be in Facebook on the on the Rough Trade group. And if you're not a member of Rough Trade or Facebook, you need to join to participate and play. I'm sorry, but I didn't, I didn't see the need to put this on Rough Trade itself because there are readers on Rough Trade. There are about... 1,300 readers on Rough Trade, and it didn't seem fair to bombard them with um, the workshop, those that are on subscription. So that's why it's taking place in Facebook, and that's why you have to um, join Facebook to participate in the workshop. The week challenge we'll do will... Uh, I have forgotten the fucking dates. Isn't that craziness? Okay, on day one of the challenge, we're going to post on Rough Trade, and you have to post all seven days. Now, the workshop on Facebook is for plotting, and um, the other minions will be on hand to, to help you brainstorm if you need it, or you can help them brainstorm, or you can just watch us make a fool of ourselves. It's up to you. It is up to you. You will set up your story page during the workshop week. I will send participants an email on that. Um, I, somebody said something in the chat room that I don't quite get or understand. <laughs> um. She said, see, Chimera, I'm going to send you an email because you just said something in the chat room that I have no knowledge of whatsoever. There will be an announcement sent out to all the participants detailing all of this. It is actually on the challenge itself. If you go to Rough Trade, there is a... Uh, an accounting of, of how that's going to work. On From July 1st to July 5th, we will be in the Facebook group talking about our plots, working through that. And during that time period, you can post your project file on Rough Trade. All participants currently have contributor privileges. That means you cannot post without my permission. And you will have to post from July 1st to July 5th. And you don't have to participate in the work group on Facebook if you don't want to. But you will post your project file from any time between July 1st and July 5th. On July 6th to July 12th, we will be writing all seven days, and you have to post every single day. At the end, on the 12th, that's the last day of that challenge. And then that challenge closes, and you can't write on that project anymore on Rough Trade. You can write privately. I don't give a shit. Okay. Then we move back into Facebook to do more plotting and more workshopping and more questions and all that stuff and just do whatever you want to do. And then our Harry Potter boot camp starts July 20th and runs through July 26th. And that is all available on the challenge um, 
on the challenge page. And yes, I didn't approve any partnerships, and I don't. I'm not aware of a writing partnership, and I would not have said yes to that if I had been asked. So, because writing partnerships aren't what this challenge is about. It's about individual craft. So, um, <laughs> you need to send me an email because I got no idea what you're talking about. Okay, that's what happens, you know, sometimes when you're in a podcast and, and you're live and you've got people in the chat room talking to you. And I apologize if you're listening to this outside of the, um, if you're listening to this in the podcast and not live, there are certain things that happen during the podcast that you'll be like, what the fuck is she talking about? And I'm sorry, you just got to um, work through it. Listen to it. Listen to my craziness. And we're going to let, I'm going to turn Lady Holder's mic on. You do realize Hello, I'm Holder. practically perfect. Hello, darling. You do realize I'm practically perfect in every way. Okay, Mary. What's up? <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't help it. It's, it's a good Mary Poppins quote. Um, just wanted to, to, to call in and, and, one of the things I found with I don't write <laughs> I don't write short stories. Um, at least I hadn't, I should say. I just got through some and it was very weird writing a short story, going from long, long, long stories to writing short stories. And it's one of the reasons I like the challenge fix that, that Azura runs um off of different roads because it's it's short stories. And I didn't realize it until I went looking back through my stuff that I actually had some. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm still not used to it. So it's going to be an interesting, um, an interesting time doing the, the uh, challenge for this you know, to see <laughs> how everything turns out. Raya is asking in the chat room if the Facebook workshop is just for writers. Um, Rough Trade is a is uh, the group on Facebook, and I don't have it locked down just for the participants. So you can join and ask questions and participate on any level that you want. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, just as long as you don't cross the line and start telling a writer how you want her to write him or her to write their story, I'm okay with readers being in there. But there is a line that I don't want crossed, and just keep mm-hmm. that in mind. <clears throat> yes, there's, so a, there's a level of... There's a level of you know? Oh, yeah, there's and a level of you, know you definitely do. don't need. Nope. And you can lurk in there, too, if you don't want to participate. Actually, you just want to watch, you can do that, too. I'm okay with voyeurs. I'm, I've always been okay with voyeurs. I'm a little bit of an exhibitionist. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm just gonna have to remember not to go um, right while I'm at Denny's because you know all I need is a, a, a table full of kids looking over my shoulder as I'm writing a sex scene again. That was 
that was an interesting one. Isn't that terrible? Oh, my God. Yeah. And I hate summer. I hate summer for that very reason. It's very difficult to write in public in the summer because you'll be over there minding your own business with your coffee. Next thing you know, there's a 10-year-old sitting beside you. You're thinking, oh, my God, I cannot write about cock while you're sitting there. Go away. And you can't actually say that. <laughs> you can't actually say, hey, kid, I'm trying to write porn. You need to move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's um, it, it's definitely enough to throw you off your game. Azura you know? is saying that the different road challenges are short stories, 2K or less. And for some people, 9K is a long story. And that's true enough. For some people, 9,000 mm-hmm. words is a very long story. Um, yes, it is. Point of view. I, I, sort of, I sort of consider anything under 1,000 words flash fic. And... I guess I do have some stuff that's around 1 to 2K, and and that, and that does qualify yeah. as uh, shorts in fiction. But short stories, as far as market concern, is usually around 10 to 15, sometimes upwards of 20 if you're if the market is really generous, but most often are not. It's between 10 and 15. Your shortest, it looks like, is The Invisible Repercussions. Which is just my... Vent fic. I was just venting. And that was that was thirteen eighteen. Okay. And that one is that one's very dark. Fun though. But dark. Let's see. Yeah, I was I was going through I didn't I mean the next one the, the next couple are actually no, I take that back. The shortest you have is a thousand words. Which and that's is... need. Me. Oh, yeah, that was like the sex fix. That was just like, what that yeah. was, was I thought and I was going to write something big, but I didn't. And sometimes that happens when you have this idea in your head, and you think, oh, this is going to be this, and you start writing it, and then it's not. Like, um, what was that, A Meeting of Minds? Oh, yeah. Um, and no, That not talking. actually was going to be a novel. And then huh. I wrote that. And I I thought that was like chapter one, but no, that was the whole story, and I didn't even know it. Mhm. Yeah, I remember that one. You that was that was one that you you weren't happy with for a while. I thought that I was I, I wasn't done, so I wasn't happy. And then I realized mm-hmm. I was done. And I was like, oh well, that's good. Mhm. Sometimes you I'm need done. perspective. Sometimes you need you know you need to shift your perspective a little bit on your own work to see okay. This isn't what you wanted it to be, but this is what it is, and it's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plot, plot, plot is just a institutionalized excuse for porn. Good porn some days, good porn. Porn! Yes, for the win. Um, moments is another one, 1014. What's this one? Here, here is something terribly funny. Uh, I'm going to do a Harry Potter fandom confession. For the longest time, I had no idea what EWE meant. And I saw it all over Fix, right? Mostly Harry Draco Fix and sometimes Harry mm-hmm. Hermione Fix. And I had no idea what it meant. And then one day I realized it. I realized what it meant. It meant epilogue. What epilogue? <laughs> I can agree with that. 
I, I, <laughs> well, then I'm the person who actually, and I, I don't normally do this. I uh-huh. cut the epilogue out of my Deathly Hallows book. <laughs> I cut it out. It does not exist in my book. It is gone. I took a razor blade and cut that shit right out of my hard copy of my hardcover copy okay. of this book. And then I put it through the shredder downstairs. Well, I can't say if I blame you for that. You know, um, it... it... Because as far as I'm concerned, the only way that Harry could have married Jenny is if he was cursed or potioned. Yeah, pretty much. And now even J.K. Rowling's saying it. She didn't mention the cursed or potion, Mm -hmm. but she does admit she fucked that up. Royally. Yeah. That was was definitely one of the, the what in the fuck. Oh, well. So, she only put it in because, Lilac, I, if she found the pressure, that sucks, Lilac. And she, uh, Lilac just mentioned that she only put it in because she was pressured to. They wanted a whole love thing. Ah. That's just, yeah. Yeah, just why? Why? Pretty much. Uh, maybe she was drunk and she was. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Whole love would have been Harry and Hermione because she was the only one that stood by him through the whole mm-hmm. series. Through thick and thin. Everything she did, basically from book one up, was about making sure Harry was mm-hmm. doing the right thing and he was going to be what he was going to be and he was going to be safe and he wasn't doing anything stupid. That was what... Hmm. Yeah. Yep. And why, oh, why? If she had to kill a Weasley, why couldn't she have killed Ron? (laughs) It would have had so much more impact. It would have been uh huge. It would have been huge if she had killed Ron. It would have had so much more impact on how the war went and the ramifications of the war. Or Percy. Yeah, there's a thought. No, they probably don't want Percy. He can die too. But I think that killing Fred was just senseless. Gratuitous. It was gratuitous. But you know what was even more gratuitous? Killing the owl. There was absolutely no yep. need to kill Hedwig. That was ugly. That was just ugly ass mm-hmm. behavior. That was bad, bad. That's author sadism. There was absolutely no reason to kill that owl. Huh. The the only thing I can think of is, is that she was positively and totally stripping Harry of all his support, and we can only be glad that she didn't get the wild hair and try and kill Hermione. Oh, my God. If she killed Hermione, I would have burned my book. <laughs> yeah, you and a whole bunch of other people. I am so serious. If she had killed Hermione, if Hermione had not sur- oh my God. I would not be in the Harry Potter fandom, number one, because I would be like boycotting all things Harry Potter for the rest of my fucking life, and I would have burned all seven of my books. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm so serious. It'd have been terrible. Yeah, it, the the thing with with Hermione, he's or she's his last support, and then if I remember right, she he sends her away, and basically commits suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Because he and couldn't do it. Way he can do it. Nope. Yeah, that was that was fucked up. Oh. Well, See, if she wanted to really speak to the reader about consequences of war and mirroring events and and moving through the narrative mm-hmm. in a natural way, Molly would have died for one of her children in the final battle. That would have been helpful. Hey, I know. She leaped in front of the, the curse for Fred and died. That's how Fred made it through. And then Arthur woke up from, from the potion, um, uh, you know, haze, and had an absolute screaming fit, and everybody lived happily ever after with uh, Harry fucking Hermione and, and Draco. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Rewritten epilogue. <laughs> Ta-da! Yes. I mean, it's uh, just so annoying, right? But yes, mm-hmm. there, there's. I hate her. I hate Jenny. I hate her. And every time I talk about her, I just get oh, just oh, I just want to stab somebody in the head, not myself, but somebody well, else. Well, you know, hey, there's that that bad wheezy fic that you've got. You know, just go work on that for a while and, and, you know, make us all happy by stabbing her a couple times. Die, Jenny, die. Yes. Stabity, stabity, stabity. Chris, that's hilarious. Chris says, it's going to be interesting seeing my SGA. I've never seen an episode. My canon is all fanon. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that that's pretty sad considering that I have some, um, there's some, some, stuff that I read that I've never watched an episode of the show. Um, and one of them, quite bluntly, is Teen Wolf. I've never watched an episode. but <laughs> I've watched one. I watched the first episode. Okay. I hated Scott, and I stopped watching it. Yeah, well, apparently a lot of people hate Scott. Um, yeah, I... I I enjoyed the the hell out of the the um yeah the, the the actual you know stories and I'm actually pretty good about finding where the canon actually is but I pay more attention to what fanon is doing than I do canon because it's just <laughs> much more entertaining. Oh wow! Apparently, there's a lot of Scott hate. Styles love. Apparently, Derek needs. Some Prozac, but you know, yeah. Streak all the way. Yes, there. Yes, there is. You know, here's something for you. If the authors of the the, the shows that we watch actually paid attention to the short story rules, because about ten thousand words would equal out to about an episode, I think. 
Right. All right. If they actually paid attention to the rules and then actually figured out what the word continuity meant, <laughs> we probably have <laughs> we probably have much more entertaining TV. But you know, it it would also be a little bit more um, interesting in the long run. You know. True. True. Um, yeah. Yes, Chris, exactly. He says, exactly. Why should I waste my time with stupid commercial TV when there's so much good smutty fic? Yeah. Well, huh. Yeah. There's I do the- like right, Ron, evil. I do. I do like to write him just irredeemable because I do think he's irredeemable. There's nothing uh-huh. more I hate in this world than a, fr- than a disloyal friend. And he hey, is disloyal. I gave, I gave you the perfect <laughs> headcanon for the little shithead. You know? <laughs> and it was it was probably a couple months ago, but it was basic I think it was in one of them where um Ron is is Dumbledore's backup plan. If he can't get Harry to suicide, you know, Ron was gonna take care of that problem. <laughs> Yeah. Little red point. Yeah. He's not a fair weather friend, OT. He's he's worse than that. A fair weather friend uh, will at least stick to your side when your star is is uh, going up. He only wanted to be around Harry when everything was in the toilet. It's the exact opposite, you know. And that that pretty much sucked. I mean, how in the hell? Every time Harry succeeded. Ron, or at least looked like he was succeeding, Ron was, was abandoning him. And that's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Until you get to the last book when Ron abandoned them because he got tired of mm-hmm. roughing it. What did he think was yeah. going to happen? He's a wizard. He, doesn't ha- he hasn't ever had to deal with consequences. Come on. That's a big that's um, actually a big theme in my Harry Potter fix that I that I harp on consequences. Yes. Because there are so few consequences in the Harry Potter books for everybody but Harry. Harry's the only one that ever yes. faces consequences. Yes, uh what is it? Um uh Gilderoy Lockhart in book two takes out one of Harry's bones and A is still teaching in the school the next morning and doesn't have bruises covering him from head to toe. And Harry gets even in the end, even in yeah. the end, when you find out exactly how fucked up Lockhart is, he doesn't pay for it because he gets memory yeah. charmed and ends up living in a padded cell in, the same in St. Yep. Mungo's, having totally forgotten what he did, and he'll never uh-huh. be punished for it. And then when we see him again, he's offering to give some people autographs. Because he's just yep. crazy enough to be allowed to wander around, but not so crazy, not so, but crazy enough they don't let him out, out out into society. But he's still never going to pay for what he did. Nope, not a bit. There yeah, is <clears throat> Romel Devane in the books, and I'm not sure if it actually happens full scale in the movie or not. Tries to potion Harry into loving her. But Ron gets the candy instead. Oh. And she's never punished for it. 
Yeah, it's it, it's played off as funny, like mm-hmm. it wasn't a prelude to rape. Yep, it's, it's ridiculous that you know that is considered normal. You know that it's not a big deal. Well, they and walk it's a around. Very big deal. They walk around in a world where even the children carry a weapon. And it's perfectly okay for them to hex each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you punch somebody on the street, in reality, you can go to jail for assault. But apparently, but apparently it's okay to hex somebody or curse somebody as long as you don't kill them, as long mm-hmm. as it isn't an unforgivable. Yep. It's um, it's one of the things about the Harry Potter universe I don't think she really thought about, you know, because having that level of I don't give a fuck, just it, it it's horrific, and the the thing that that you had, I realized reading it after many moons is one of the ways that they keep everybody from indiscriminately hexing the shit out of each other is, well, aside from the house system, um, they're basically taught to be sheep. Yeah. And nobody ever thinks about it. Okay? And so, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting how, how the societal controls went into place. Well, there's no justice so, either. I mean, you see, no, there isn't. But put one person in jail with no evidence, no interview, mm-hmm. no trial, and he's taken directly to prison where he is tortured by dementors. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean serious. That what I have in the series too, but I actually mean Hagrid. <clears throat> then he has a escaped convict executed on the spot. I mean, Barty, um, Barty Crouch Jr. Barty Crouch, yeah, Barty Crouch Jr. Without bothering Dan Turnpike you. is also thrown in Azkaban without a trial. Mm-hmm. There is a total lack of justice in the magical world where only certain people face consequences and not often, and often they're not even for the actions, they're not even guilty. Yeah, uh, Neville's Neville's uncle is mentioned in um, in chat by Azor. It's it's okay for Nev's uncle to toss him out a window because he thought he was a squib. Yes, because it's better he be a dead squib. Uh huh. Yeah, than a live, you know, than a live squib. That's just ridiculous. Either he's magical or he's a dead squib. That's what that was. Uh-huh. Azura, you're right. She said, so if Nev died, uh, was his uncle next in line to inherit? I think he was. You know, so there may be more than one motivation there. So. And Capricious Twilight and Chris both commented um, about how uh, Dumble's 
rearrange the school system so that way there's no thinking. You know, independent thinking is not encouraged. Well, the fact of the matter is that's not all different from, from the curriculum we face today in society. This is a point. Yeah. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I do think Augusta Longbottom was um, emotionally abusive. I agree. Mm-hmm. Dark. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of of there's but a again, lot of abuses in there. That these um these are things that are never explicitly said, but it's stuff that you get from the narrative, just from the actions that you mm-hmm. see of the characters. Yep. And it's something that, you know... And you have to wonder if Jake Rowling meant for us to find this or if it was just... Serendipity? Yeah. 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 Going back to the the short story thing, all of these things that, at least with this particular audience, we all know about it. It's not something that has to be spelled out. It's um, implicit for a lot of people now that things are not all, you know, Skittles and beer in the Harry Potter universe. So, you know, people can look at that whole thing and go, okay, you know, I'm I'm going to tilt my head to the left and, and see the problem. And you fold it in, and you know, and you don't have to use your, your precious, you know, word count to make it obvious. Because it's already there. It is indeed. I have a small story to tell about author blindness and uh, things that you think you're saying in your story and things that people take from it. Um, I was a guest speaker at a college in the area, and um, one of my books was assigned as reading. And one of the young women in the class approached me in the cafe to talk about the book and of the book, and she wrote her essay based on the answers that I gave. And her and her professor gave her an F on the essay because she did not get out of the book what the author intended for her to get. And the student said, I'll have you know, I asked the author what I was supposed to get out of the fucking book. And so I actually had to call the teacher and say, hey, as a matter of fact, she did speak to me, and that is exactly what I wanted her to get out of the book. Um, and she told me this long story about what she got out of the book, and I'm like, no, that's not what I meant at all. Oh, my God, that's not what I meant at all. So anyway, what you write is not always what your reader will get. <laughs> out of your work. So keep that in mind. Thank everybody in the chat room for playing with me tonight and thank Lady Holder for coming on the air and, and getting me through my last 30 minutes when I didn't have anything planned to say. And um, <laughs> Always. Guys, <laughs> you guys have a good evening. Bye-bye, everybody. Shut up and sit down.
500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Build Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month, now through May 31st. That means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome Penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details. 500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Build Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month, now through May 31st. That means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome Penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details.